you're tuned in to the Manjeet Minhas podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Manjeet Minhas podcast. Each week, I talk to different guests and gain some insight into their entrepreneurial journey. We look at some of the challenges they faced and how they overcame those obstacles. But we know life as an entrepreneur is not easy. There's a lot of risk involved, and it can be helpful to have a partner when pursuing this path. I was lucky enough to be able to partner with my brother, Ravinder, and we've worked hard the last 21 years and close together to grow the Minhas breweries, distilleries, and wineries worldwide. But working with family isn't easy and isn't always for everyone. This week, I'm joined by two sisters, Kendall and Justine Barber, the co-founders of Poppy Barley, a leather footwear and bag company that prioritizes its people and having a positive impact on the world. We're going to hear what it's like to work with your sibling, some of the challenges and positives involved, and get some advice for anyone who we may be thinking of working with family. Kendall and Justine, welcome to the show. Uh, Well, thanks so much for joining me, uh, both Kendall and Justine. I really just want to get started to find out more about both of you and your family and your upbringing. Uh, Where were you guys raised? A little bit about the Barber family and the Barber sisters, I guess. Sure. So we're a railroad family. Okay. So my dad worked for the railroad. So that just meant we moved a lot. So Kendall was born in Smithers, BC. I was born in Jasper, Alberta. And we also lived in Prince George and Red Deer in St. Albert. Oh, wow. We were 18. So yeah, we, we moved around Alberta and BC a lot. And there's actually three sisters. So Kendall's the oldest, I'm the middle. And then we also have a little sister named Larissa. And, uh, and so what were you guys' dreams? Did you think, did you think you would follow, you know, your, your footsteps of your family into the railroad? Did you have any interest in, in that as you moved around BC and Alberta? Absolutely none. I think it actually had the opposite effect on us. Um, and especially on me very early on, I wanted to own my own business because I wanted to have control. I found it really hard that we would be transferred and just move to wherever the company essentially told my dad, you know, his next job was. And so I really craved like being in, in control more. And so it, for me, it like pushed me very early on to like, want to be a business, have my own business, what that business was going to be. I had no idea, but it was always like, I want to have my own thing. I want to like control my destiny more than I felt we had that growing up. So Got it. And moving around, you know, you you hear the pros and the cons of it. And and the pros often people talk about are how how resilient it made you as a child to make new friends, to, you know, um live in a new space and a new house. And and I and and I and I sometimes I think if you don't have one, you always want the other. I'm born and raised in Calgary and I still live here. And I just turned 40. And so I've always wondered what it would be like to live somewhere else. But I guess maybe from your perspective, when you've lived lots of places you wanted to have have just live in one place. Yeah, I agree with that. I think for us, it was more of a pro where I think it wasn't maybe what we would have chosen, but I think it like taught us more. And really it's one of like the three shaping factors, I think of our personality. But I mean, interestingly, we're both doing the opposite with our own families. Kendall and I both have small children. Um, We've lived in the same city. We have no plans to move. So it is that kind of like, we are living a different life, even though I I think it actually was a good thing for us. Not like an easy thing, but a good thing. Being in a new, unfamiliar situation 
with Justine is a very normal thing. So like in terms of starting a business and being new, not knowing anyone, not knowing what you're doing, like we've been doing that together our whole lives. So whenever we would move somewhere, we would only have each other until we met new friends. And so I do think that like that has been something that's really helped us in our business relationship is being in unfamiliar places together is something we do best. Yeah, makes sense. Um, And so after you turned 18 and got a little bit more control, I guess, and graduated quite 12, then where did you guys end up? I came to Edmonton. So I moved from Prince George to Edmonton for university. We both did business, but Kendall went to Victoria. So we were in separate cities for the first time. But I was actually, Kendall always wanted to be a business owner and I never wanted to be a business owner. And I think it was like sibling differentiation. I once read this article that was like, every child will kind of carve out a different role in the family. It's like a niche thing. So Kendall was always like, I'm going to be an entrepreneur and a business owner. And I was like, I'm begrudgingly studying business because my parents told me it was practical. Hmm. Um, So yeah, we were in different cities doing that, but I wanted to be like political science. And I moved to Belgium for a bit and did more of a career in war studies. And like, and then we reunited in Edmonton in our mid twenties. Oh, interesting. And, and Kendall yourself. So as Justine said, I went to the university of Victoria. Um, I actually started in physiotherapy, like wanting to thinking I'd go down physiotherapy very quickly realized business was for me a uh, business degree. Both Justine and I also studied abroad. So did an exchange semester abroad while I was at university, took a semester off and backpacked through Central America. And so really started to travel a lot in our undergrad as well. And then, yeah, I ended up in Edmonton at the end of 2006, pretty much with a broken heart. And my parents had moved to Edmonton and I had like no job, no home, like nothing. So I came back to my parents' house and they happened to live in Edmonton. And that's how I ended up here. Oh, nice. Well, full circle where your sister was. And, and I guess where you are raising your own family. Um, so then I guess the exciting part happens, which is a lot of what we're here to talk about today, which is you guys decided to co-found Poppy Barley in 2012. And so um, talk to me about um, the, the story behind going and having nine to five jobs and then wanting to become entrepreneurs and, and taking that risk of of not really knowing what was going to be next and, and really taking on the fashion industry and the shoe industry, I guess, to start with in a totally different way and thinking that you could succeed. Yeah. So when I first graduated from university, I, again, I wasn't super interested in business. I actually went to work for the government and I worked on like homelessness and affordable housing. And at the time would have said, I really wanted to make like a difference, not a profit. And then I think for me, two things happened. One was I did want that like ability to create things and not to like write briefing notes up to try to get approval, but I just wanted to be able to like do things and to succeed or fail in my own merit. And so that was kind of the one internal shift for me. And then the other one was the role of business I thought really changed where when I was going through school, it was very much like businesses exist to maximize profits for end point. And then there was a big shift in terms of you have corporate social responsibility, you have multiple stakeholders, you can create a profitable business that also has a great impact. So those two things combined for me to make me go, oh, actually, I want to work for myself. 
And yeah, I was 28 at that point. And so what made it, what made you guys decide that you're going to go into it together? I had the idea and I like immediately reached out to Kendall to work on it with me. I didn't even like really think about it. I was just like, I want to launch this company. And of course I want Kendall um, to do it with me. I did recognize that she had a great skill set, So she was more of like a marketer and she was working in marketing. She also had a blog. She was very adept in social media, um, more technology focused than I was. So she did have a complementary skill set to mine, but I also, I think I just thought Kendall's super smart. She's always wanted to be an entrepreneur and like, I want her on the team. Right. And so from um, what I understand, you saw a handcrafted boot shop in when you were visiting Bali and decided that you uh, wanted to enter the shoe market and specifically that. So talk to me about what you saw that you could do differently and why shoes really interested you. Sure. So the very beginning of the idea was that, yeah, I went into a boot shop and the boots didn't fit me. And the man said, don't worry, I'll just measure you and make them for you. And I thought many, many women have that experience. And then we actually started digging into it and found that 60% of women struggle to find boots that fit. So then I had this idea that, you know, you could be like a custom boot maker with an e-commerce business model so that it was very scalable and you could kind of combine like old, old world craftsmanship with new technology. So that was like the very first iteration of the business. Um, Kendall and I both love creating a product. I wouldn't say either of us like love shoes specifically. Got it. Like we feel like we could sell other things and we could create other things and be like equally happy. But we just like a business that combines creativity with being very analytical. Hmm. And and what made you, um, Kendall, then think that this is the business that I want to get into? So initially, I didn't think it was the business I wanted to get into. Um, I actually, I think sent Justine back an email that's fairly directly said, I don't think that's a very good idea at all. (laughs) And Justine came back from Bali and really started working on, on the idea. And at this time she was working for the city of Edmonton. So all of her time working on the idea was in the evenings or on the weekends. And the more that she worked about, she kept like roping me along, like sending me ideas or like involving me in it. And I think that she really... I started to get excited by the idea. So I guess I was like her first joiner. Like she, you know, she captured my attention. And then also I always, I think I was a little bit worried about whether Justine actually wanted to be an entrepreneur Hmm. in terms of there's a, there's a bit of a difference between being in government and then being an entrepreneur. And Justine always says like to have other people join you, you have to be the most committed person at the table. And from the very beginning of the creation of Poppy Barley, Justine has like 100% been the most committed person at the table. So she like excited me with the idea and wowed me with like her work work ethic. And like those things, she like took me out for a drink at the Fairmont, sat me down and was like pretty much like by the time you're finished your drink, you're either like doing this with me or you're not. So like another point of being direct, but like you're my business partner or you're not. Because if it's not you, I'm going to go find someone else. So we finished our cocktail and decided to make it happen. 
Yeah, that's interesting. And I love that you're you're open with the fact that sometimes when you are siblings, you know each other so, so well, and that can be a pro and a con, but you, you, you were wondering to yourself, does she want to be an inventor and a creator or um, a business person? Or, or does she have the capability, the skill set, or the interest to do it to both sides of it? Because, you know, in the den, I say this to a lot of people when, when after you meet so many people and you get this gut feeling that you just want to be an inventor or that's what you're good at, or you just or business person. And I think that that's when the greatest partnerships are made is that when the skill sets are not the same, but they have the same vision. And I, I think that she convinced you of that over, over drinks, but you two both knew that you you complemented each other in the right ways um, and that you could you can find success one way or the other. Um, and so um, talk to me how you got it off the ground then. You got this idea in hand that is completely unique uh, in a lot of different ways. And so how did you build the pieces? How did you fund yourselves? Sure. So after we you know, decided that we were going to pursue this together, really the obvious step, after we had validated the idea through some market research and talking to a lot of women, the obvious step was we need a manufacturer. Like we need a product to sell. So we need a manufacturer. So at that point, Kendall and I decided that we'd each commit up to $5,000 of our own money and some vacation time. And we started looking globally for a manufacturer. And we ended up through this Hot Boots for Men website, finding this little city in Mexico that was like an epicenter for craftsmanship and shoemaking. And I remember, yeah, going to my boss at work and being like, I need next week off because there was a shoe fair. (laughs) And he was like, what if I don't give it to you? And I remember thinking that I'm going to have to quit. But we went down there, we worked with a shoe broker. And by the end of the week, we had paired up with Lupita, who owned this like tiny little factory in a little house. um, And she agreed to start trying to make our product. And so when did you both decide that we were going to be all in and you were going to leave your day jobs? Where was that tipping point? Yeah. So we went down to Mexico in May and at the end of July, um, at that point, we decided to fully commit ourselves to trying to get Poppy Barley off the ground. And it wasn't in my memory. It wasn't like, okay, now we're going to do this, but I had always kind of said, I'd like to try this for like four months or six months and like see where we could get to. And if we weren't hitting certain benchmarks or certain targets or like we weren't getting traction on the idea, then we would go back and get jobs again. I think that we were always fairly confident that we were employable at that point anyways. So it wasn't like, oh, now we're going to be entrepreneurs. It was just, we have to give this our all and we can't do it at lunch or in the evenings or on the weekends anymore. And we would rather go all in and know if it worked opposed to always look back and wonder if we had put more of ourselves into it, if we could have got it off the ground. So at that point, um, we went all in, we joined Startup Edmonton. They had just come together as an organization and we were one of the first companies, we were hardly a company yet, (laughs) the first two people working out of Startup Edmonton on our idea. 
Nice. Interesting. So you decided fairly quickly within like two months that you were um, going to take this on full time. And I think that that's pretty not only brave, but commendable to say that we're going to try this and we're going to put our all into it. If it works great, if it doesn't, we're going to go back to something else. I think a lot of people keep a side hustle, a side hustle for way too long because they're really scared to take that leap of faith and take the risk um, in order to actually make it uh, the, the only focus. Um, I'm sure you guys had a lot of challenges in the beginning um, and, and I'm sure you still do, but definitely in the beginning. Uh, so talk to me some about some of those challenges that you had starting up. Sure. I think the first, you know, one to two years of probably all businesses are quite similar where you're trying to develop a product. You're trying to find your customer. You're trying to get that product market fit and you're trying to do all of it before you run out of cash, mm-hmm. you know? So, I mean, and you're trying to figure out your business model. Right. So really that was the first two years was, you know, improving our product, tweaking, not even, I mean, we ended up shifting our business model a lot because we ended up going from custom boots online to ready-to-wear footwear accessories in an omni-channel approach. So that was kind of the first three years was that transition. Um, And yeah, like fundraising, selling, hustling, just like trying to keep it alive was really the first couple of years. Got it. And so why the the change in approach? Why the iteration um, to more ready-to-wear? Just for scalability, profitability? All of that, you know, it was, um, it was, yeah, scalability, profitability, the bigger market, mm-hmm. as well as um, it made us less with our current factory, but our made to order is very seasonal. Right. So, so it also smoothed out our, our seasons. Got it. And, and so um, along this journey, then you came up with some values and a mission of Poppy Burley. And a lot of it had to do with transparency, which really definitely uh, separates you from everybody else um, in the footwear business, which I think is, is, is very commendable. And so recently, for example, you put out the People and Planet report. And reading through it myself, um, you know, my eyes were left wide open in a variety of different ways because a lot of businesses, especially product-based businesses, do not talk about a lot of the things that you guys have decided to be open about um, over the last couple of years. You know, diversity and inclusion, anti-racism, your environmental impact, but I loved how detailed you guys are about it, whether it be about packaging, your carbon footprint, your sustainability. Um, and, And so talk to me about the decision to have that transparency in your company and be such a 180 than everybody else in your industry. I would really credit Justine with bringing that to Poppy Barley. And if you think about where she comes from in her background, she wanted to be like a warrior for social causes. She studied war studies. She like worked on homelessness. So I think for her, the idea that business could be a platform to change the world was like essential to creating something that she like loved and that she was proud of. And so I think very early on, Justine was pushing for like, okay, but what's the social impact of our business? What's our responsibility? How do we show up for people? And Justine has really like led us through that in terms of like, we are going to become a B Corp. Um, We are going to talk about it. We are going to be transparent. We are going to do right. And I think the other thing is the further we got into this, you know, we started with the idea of like, oh, the problem is you can't find shoes that fit. 
And that's still a real problem. But the much bigger problem is that the fashion industry is terrible for the environment and terrible for people. For most people that touch the product, it's terrible. And I think for Justine and I, that like ignited like passion and something that we really wanted to change that. And so that became the core of like what we wanted to do with our business and the legacy. And we really believe that there is a customer for that and other people who care where their things come from, who want to know. And right now when it comes to fashion, I think we generally just don't know. So we had to start by being very transparent. Well, that was a very nice little thing, Kendall. Thank you. (laughs) Um, (laughs) What I would just, yeah, I mean, I agree. Like we started the business with this idea that it would be a platform to have an impact with. I would just say that I think every year our lens for sustainability has gotten broader. Mm -hmm. So in the beginning, it was really focused on ethical production. Then we really started to consider our broader environmental impact. And then over the past couple of years have really added about impact on people. Um, So it has also been, we've been focused on it, but it has evolved as well. Got it. Yeah, I really do uh, love that motto that business can change the world because I really do think it can. Um, Many years ago when we were starting and we obviously a big manufacturer in in beer, especially um, at the time, I discovered how we really had as as a beverage manufacturer, really a lot of environmental impact. And I would say uh, most of it negative. And I think a lot of parallels into the fashion industry. And so, you know, we looked at it and I, and, and God bless my, my, my brother and I engineering's background where it came in handy to be able to understand how can we reduce this impact from less packaging. Everybody thought we were crazy. CO2 recapture. Oh, everybody thought we were crazy. Reusage of water even, you know, um, to, to heat and cool. And, and there's just so many things that you can do uh, if you just actually take the time to look at it. And, and, and it's nice that you know, long-term, they all have an effect on the bottom line, but you do have to go into it thinking, okay, like what is my impact? Um, and if you don't go into it, eyes wide open into trying to change it or not do it like everybody else is doing it. It's really hard um, to not only um, innovate, but also get everybody else on board to get an end product that you can be proud of. So um, let's get into the fashion industry now. Um, You know, we all know that there are so many shady practices in the fashion industry, especially with fast fashion over the last, you know, decade or two that has become very popular. Bad working conditions, of course, um, that we've all seen in the news. Um, And so um, talk to me about a little bit about what do you see um, as the major problem with the current fashion trends and how it contributes to the way um, consumerism and how we as customers um, get involved into the fashion industry and participate? I I mean, I think the number one major problem is overconsumption and disposability. Like, you know, I think that's maybe 80% of the issue. Like, I think you can look at how things are made for sure and improve that. But I think, you know, once your starting point is that the average garment is worn seven times and that we're buying three times as much as we did, you know, 15 years ago, I, I think that's like the major problem. And I think that, Um, There's definitely been a race to the bottom on pricing. Um, There's been additional seasons layered on. So I think there's also too much product, which then leads to like additional discounting. But yeah, I think it's mostly 
over consumption and disposability of what product apparel is nowadays. And why do you think it is that we wear our clothes less? Why is it only seven times and not three times that um, as it was before? Is it is this um, one of those effects of social media because we don't want to be seen in the same clothes? I, like, what is the, what is the reasoning behind that? I think it's just because they're cheaper. Because mm-hmm. you know, clothing and footwear is a category. It's actually one of the things that has reduced in cost over the past 20, 30 years. So where before um, we just used to have to spend more money per item. So then you would buy less and buy better probably. Where now, you know, there is this $10 t-shirt. So almost everybody or everybody, really, not everybody, a lot of people can just, you can buy plenty. I, I would probably, I do think that there is a social media component of it where we are always on display, showing what we're wearing. Um, I think just the rise of cosmetics, the rise of filters, the like all of those things also play into always wanting to look fresh um, and new. So I do think that that is an added element. And I mean, to think about like wearing a dress, the same dress to multiple events in a row is just culturally something that we don't do right now. And like, (laughs) that seems absurd if you say it out loud, but it's true. So I I do think that the desire or the expectation to always be in something different and something new also drives people's behavior. Yeah. I'll fully admit I, I, I buy into that too. Um, I, and I do that. I find unconsciously, not only for myself, but for my two little girls too. I feel the trends change so fast. Even, you know, I do a lot of hand-me-downs definitely from my first to my second, but I do find myself still buying a lot for my, my second. And I think that a lot of it has to do with trends changing. I, I talk about this with my mom all the time. I'm like, I wore that Club Monaco shirt as a teenager for years. And and like it didn't, it, the trends didn't change as fast as I feel that they do now. Whether you said from season to season and we've created a lot of seasons um, within a year, but just year to year. And so do you think that is good marketing by the fashion industry or, or what um, responsibility does the fashion industry have in that other than the the, the better prices, I guess? I, yeah, I do think it's good marketing by the fashion industry. And I think that Kendall and I, I mean, we would both say like, we also are subject to it, you know, like we're, like, we're obviously not perfect. And I mean, an example for me is like skinny jeans have gone out of style and ripped denim has gone out of style in the past year. I have a lot new jeans, Hmm. you know, and it's like my old jeans were fine, but wearing them would make me feel really dated. So there's definitely that part of it. And I mean, we always, we have a design filter where we want every item we create to be worn at least 300 times and to like go from season to season and last year for years into the future. So we try to design that way. Mm -hmm. Um, But I would say as a customer, I buy that way, but I also am prey to like, oh, this is cute and new and updated. So it is hard. 
And so you guys really do a good job of that at Poppy Barley um, is, is doing, I think, the try, trusted and true instead of being in the super trendy. And you do that with fewer colors. I feel a lot more neutrals. Um, and, you know, the definition of neutral is, of course, have changed too. But, um, but so talk to me about how you have to hold yourself as a company back sometimes or as an individual. As an entrepreneur, I think we all have that problem is that we all want to jump on what's next and what's trendy and how do we like make sales right now, this month, this season, this quarter. Um, and so how do you not jump onto that bandwagon, but by saying yes to everything and every color and, and every design that crosses your table? Because saying no is, is big and really hard for a lot of entrepreneurs because you can drown in opportunity uh, mm-hmm. when you're an entrepreneur. Yeah. I mean, I think that we look at data a lot. We look at what has sold and then we've created our design filter. And then we also have other guiding kind of brand documents um, around. These are like the palettes that we work within. These are the shapes that we work within and we will add new shapes, mm-hmm. but yeah, we're not, we don't, we, tr- we purposely try to add some, like we don't add things that we think this is like one season and then it's done. Like this will be the boot of 2021. Um, or we'll maybe do a like more moderate play on the shape. So like right now, square toe lasts are back in style. So we have a square toe last, but it's not extremely square in a way that in a year from now, we'll have to toss it basically. So yeah, I think we try to, we definitely try to be still stylish, but to take trends and like put them through our own filters. Yeah, I was just going to add to that. Justine alluded to it earlier, but we do have, a design filter that every design goes through. And we really want to create the footwear or the bags that you wear for 80% of your life. So for those special events, we don't go much into that category, but we really want to be like the workhorses of your wardrobe. Mm -hmm. And so, and we want to also be the most comfortable pair of shoes in your wardrobe. So we want to be the pair of shoe that you reach for over and over again, because it looks good and it feels really good. Mm -hmm. And so to do that, we use the best materials were, you know, we put a lot of thought and extra pieces into our shoes to make the comfort. And then we pay people fairly and we buy all of our materials from um, companies that practice high standards of environmental standards. And so all of that brings our cost to produce a shoe up a little bit higher. And then on top of that, we strive for a two to three times markup on our product compared to like a five times markup or more that's more traditional, more traditional in our industry. So what that means is we want to come in at an accessible price point, but we are a slightly elevated price point for a lot of people. So I think what that means is that people really buy our product as something core in their wardrobe. And so they want core shapes and core colors. So like the really fun, the really bright colors that we're only going to wear to a wedding or once or twice, I think most people would rather buy fast fashion in that standpoint and then invest their dollars into like a product that they really love. And then in those products, they need something that goes with, oh, goes with a large variety of their wardrobe. So um, I think those two things, like how we design and how we think about our customers drives and puts a lot of parameters around product design. Uh, Thank you uh, so much for both of your time today. I really do appreciate it. Thank you for having us. This was a lovely conversation. Thanks. 
Yeah, super fun. Thank you so much. Um, I hope next time this is with wine and in person. Thank you to everyone for listening today. And thank you, Kendall and Justine, for coming on the show to talk and give us insights into the world of fashion and running a family business. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you follow the podcast. And while you're there, rate us on Apple Podcasts. It helps a ton. Tune in next time for an all new episode of the Manjeet Minhas podcast. Cheers.